And we are live. Welcome back to another episode of the Dynasty Digest. We give you a consumable Dynasty perspective. I'm Skyler. That's Jake. Today, we're going to go through uh, our preferred Dynasty League settings. We're going to talk a little bit on the combine. We're going to talk a little news around the NFL. Um, you know, But before we get straight into things, we'll, we'll quickly roll this little intro. Let people come in to the stream. He has the hearts of a lot of fantasy players. I like it a lot, honestly. I'm like, I'm, I'm in for death taxes and the 2022 water receiver class. I like what you were saying, Skylar. No, no player is completely untouchable. I think you guys really, I had not, I have not really heard this yet. I listen to a lot of pods and I have not heard this yet. Well done, gentlemen. I'm really impressed. Welcome back, guys. Before we get going, I want to very proudly announce our sponsorship here with underdog fantasy sports if you play best ball or if you're looking to get into best ball drafts underdog is the best place for this what is best ball it is it's the best way if you want to fill your draft fix these mock drafts just aren't doing it for you and you want to get in a real draft you want to draft against real players and have real outcomes but you know, sometimes you get a little overwhelmed when you have 40 teams and you got to set a lineup every single Sunday. Best ball is for you. So you're going to go over to Underdog. Uh, you can jump in our Discord, find the link for that. It'll be in the description of this video uh, in post. I don't know if it's there right now. And you're going to use code JWB to get a deposit match up to $100 on your first deposit. So why would you not? Free money. Without further ado, we are going to dive right into this draft. I'm going to start it up. Take Patrick Mahomes. Sorry, Buffalo fans in here. I got Jake. We're running. We're both running the 101 today. Jake's going to help me with drafting, and I'm just going to try to queue up these league settings. I think the big first one, Jake, Superflex or one quarterback. Uh, this is this is always what a lot of players who are maybe new to Dynasty are asking, what the benefits of one versus the other are. I got a million thoughts on this, but I'm getting tired. So, Jake. What are, your, what are your thoughts here on one quarterback or super flex for dynasty? Yeah, it's super flex every single time for me. Uh, I don't play in a single single quarterback league. I uh, just won't do it. Um, I, I just think it it devalues the quarterback position a little bit. Um, and while I understand um, the arguments for you know single quarterback, it, you have to be a little bit more strategic, quote unquote, with your your quarterback swings there. I think you can make an argument the other way um, with Superflex. You have to make you know those investments into a quarterback position, which is already premium. Um, it, it gives you know it makes the quarterback position that much more valuable to you. And I think overall, um, it's just a better league experience uh every time i have a single quarterback league um, which is mostly in a couple redraft leagues that i've been in for a few years honestly i, I don't love it. it quarterback gets boring you just draft whichever of the top eight falls the farthest and then he's in your lineup every week and it just becomes an afterthought which is which in superflex i think you the, you know there's more strategy that you can put into it so i prefer having superflex or two quarterback yeah, and I know this is fantasy, so we don't want to mirror the NFL everyone saying, well, in real football, they do this or that. But the importance of the quarterback position in the sport is second to none, really. It's always about the quarterback. And the problem I have with one quarterback for Dynasty is it just takes that element of the how crucial it is to get your quarterbacks correct completely out of the equation. As Jake said, there's probably eight guys, eight to 12 guys, who are pretty set and forget at this point, very... Uh, you know, high quality asset for dynasty. And when you play in one quarterback, everyone's got one. And if they don't, you probably have your choice of every name after, and you can stream the position. We see when we talk redraft, you know, how efficient streaming the quarterback is um, and how you can really piece together 
you know, a quarterback one performance out of secondary guys. And the problem I have with this is it just makes the position, as Jake said, it's just an afterthought, right? Where when you have the two, now suddenly there's 24 starting and there's only, you know, 32 in the league. Now everyone really has to get those guys correct. If you don't draft one early, you're missing out. You really have to take your shot. Just like a team, you have to invest rather heavily into this position. And if you get it wrong, you know, there's a lot more coming. And and when you only have maybe three tight ends that are worth, you know, elite status, you've got basically the top 15 wide receivers, elite status, your top 12 running backs, elite status. When quarterbacks are completely taken out, once you get past three rounds, there's just a lot less importance, in my opinion, on getting the assets correct. You have a lot more shots at it. And it just makes the trade market a lot more stale. When you only have 30, 40 premium assets in your league, there's only going to be so many trades involving those players. But when you add in the quarterback, the second quarterback, it just makes it just it opens the market up. It opens a lot more strategy, a lot more uh it opens a lot more ways where people can try to build their team. They can kind of instruct their rosters and, you know, it keeps things a lot more interesting. You keep that one quarterback. It's basically like tight end. It's like, if I don't have an elite guy, I don't really care. I'm going to stream the position. And then yep. we're only caring about running backs and wide receivers, which is why I'm fine with it for redraft. Cause you get to basically take your stab, plant your flag on your wide receivers or running backs for this year. You get it right. You win a lot of money. You get it wrong. You got next year. But with Dynasty, I like there being a lot more avenues to build my team, a lot more ways to construct. Uh, it just keeps things interesting. I also, just like Jake, won't play in a one quarterback league because it just it's too stale for me. Yeah, it just it in some leagues, you know, we already see leagues that struggle to get trades done. And when you have one position that's basically not worth trading for, you know, those guys who have their elite top eight guys they're not moving off of those guys for anything but an overpay. So you're just like, all right, do I want to stream Taylor Heineke? Do I want to throw Kenny Pickett in the lineup? Or do I want to, for my super flex spot, do I have, you know, just a really like a stud running back wide receiver that I have a spare spot for, and I can throw them in there. Um, you know, in, in super flex, you just have so much more flexibility about what you can do. And it just makes everything so much more fun in my opinion. 100%. Before I move to the next setting, we'll hit this question quick in chat. Best landing spot for Lamar. Personally, I think it's staying in Baltimore. <laughs> if I had to give a second option, maybe Atlanta. I think that's a cool spot for a quarterback who's ready to come in, win right away. I think they are a lot closer to winning than maybe their record last year would suggest. And they're built around that run game. A lot of, a lot of strong pieces in that in that sense, and reliable targets with Drake London and Kyle Pitts. So for me, Atlanta, if not staying in Baltimore, Jake, you want to give a quick shout for Lamar? Yeah, I agree with you. Atlanta's probably my favorite spot. I think the sneaky spot that may like end up being fun if it were to happen would be uh, Tampa. I don't, th I don't imagine that. I don't think that, that Tampa's in a good enough cap situation or a good enough team overall to make that happen. But if we could, that'd be really fun. I would love Chris Godwin, like Chris Godwin, just house and Lamar throws Lamar just breaks 80 and then he just throws a random little, you know, corner ball to Mike Evans who just goes up over everybody and just brings it down. That'd be fun, but it, it probably won't happen. I think Atlanta is probably the most seems like a Madden spot. move. The yeah. Tampa oh, a thousand I mean, they, percent. They, they got all the weapons. It'd be a lot of fun to get a good quarterback there, but it's a lot more difficult to get a guy down there. I think yeah. than reasonable, before we move on, I got to say right here, we see Anthony Richardson, 208 off the board. We'll talk about him right now because this is a player who's going somewhere between rounds five to seven in all of the streams we've had thus far, immediately bouncing into 
the late second. My quick thoughts probably let Jake take over is maybe Anthony Richardson would knock the thing out of the park more than you could have even expected at the combine. But we knew this guy was a freak. We knew when he stands in any room, he commands attention. This is a huge freak guy. He's breaking out of his shirt buff. He runs super fast. But the question remains if he can play quarterback, if he can throw the football, if he can play an NFL offense, if he can increase accuracy, if he can, you know, read team defenses. And I don't think we saw anything to change those question marks. He can throw the ball 60, 70 yards. You know, how consistently accurate he showed at the combine he threw a deep ball. I'm not going to let that get me too ahead. I think the combine really just brought a lot of people who didn't necessarily have eyes on Anthony Richardson up to speed. But for me, I think he's still that elite aspect. I wasn't expecting best quarterback athlete of all time, um, but I, I, I don't think a whole lot changed for me other than where his rookie draft ADP goes. I still think it's a very, very high risk in the second round. Um, I'm certainly not taking him over Dak Prescott, a player I just got there at the do 12. Um, Jake, what are your, what are your thoughts on Anthony Richardson and has your view of the player changed with the performance he put on at the combine? Uh, my personal view on it hasn't really changed at all. The only thing that's really changed, I think the NFL, um, is going to take a bigger risk on him than they may have prior. Um, and does that impact his value in dynasty? Sure. Um, I still think he's more of like a third or fourth round pick for me. I just don't want some, for someone like him, he would not only have to make a historic step in accuracy to, to meet like even just below league average, if he jumps his accuracy from his most recent year at Florida to what Justin Fields did last year, that's still bottom portion of the league. And yes, Justin Fields was a top five quarterback in points per game, but that's also because he set the quarterback or almost set the quarterback rushing record. And while I think Anthony Richardson can do that for him to be a consistent presence in the NFL, he really has to work on, on the passing aspect of his game, which is, you know, it's fine, but in the second round, I'm not taking a guy that I personally, I expect him to be drafted by a Seattle, a Detroit, a team that needs a quarterback for the future, but has a guy right there right now that they can compete with. And if they let him sit under Geno, I think if Seattle move, you know, moves up and takes him, I think that's about as perfect of a situation as he could fall into from a developmental standpoint. Um, and for me, I'm not taking a guy in the second round of a, of a startup draft that I'm not expecting to play for a year. Yeah, I think the most reasonable landing spot here for Anthony Richardson would be whoever trades up to spot three where Arizona currently sits. I don't think that I think they're in a prime spot to move back. And you do have you have Detroit and Seattle sitting right after. I think those would be the best teams for Anthony Richardson. As Jake said, they got a guy who can play year one. They are well-run, good coaches. Uh, the team has an identity, and really he can come in when he's ready. Mm -hmm. He's not going to be asked to do too much right away. We do have someone in the chat here who is saying Bryce and CJ have to be top 10 passes to match Richardson's fantasy production. And that's under the assumption that Richardson is going to be out in the field, stay on the field, get a full run on the field, and that a team is going to build around him properly, like you know a Lamar or a Jalen you know, when their time finally came in. In the NFL, you really hope that a team would do that because, as we see, this athleticism is unreal. You know, we hope we don't have a situation like Chicago where they brought in a rookie, Justin Fields, who is was a top-tier athlete, and they said, we're going to put you in the same offense and expect you to do the exact same things that Andy Dalton does for this team. And it was a disaster, right? So we just really got to hope a team builds around Anthony Richardson when they take him. 
And there's just a lot of risks there. I don't blame anyone. I think this conversation kind of starts at CJ Stroud, that 103 spot. Unless if, you know, you have Stroud at your QB2. I think once you look past Stroud Young, that's where the conversation starts for me for Richardson. I'm not going to overlook what Bryce did in college where he was maybe the best quarterback for one to two years in college football. He carried a lesser Bama team at times in the season, did everything you could have asked for him. He made magic happen when things broke down. And just because he's a little small, I understand the concerns there, right? But he measured exactly the same as Kyle Murray. He needs a team who's going to come in and build around him as well. But he has shown the ability to do many different things on the football field that I think prop up his value. I don't think he's just like you don't think of Kyle necessarily as a pure rusher. I don't think of Bryce as a pure rusher, but he can give you some on the ground. So I don't think it's purely as much of a statue like a Jared Goff or a Matthew Stafford. And I don't think Stroud is necessarily the statue like those two guys. I think maybe his rushing value will be a little sneakier, more in the Burrow or the Herbert, where he's capable if you need the guy to move. Um, but he's just a fluid thrower. He's his passer. He's maybe the best uh, day one passer in this class. And you know if everything clicks there, and, he go, and especially if he goes to a team that's got weapons and it's ready to compete, um, I think he could be really, really successful. So taking the writ. The Richardson risk, I think, is totally fine. You can justify it after those two guys. If you don't want to go in on JSN or Gibbs and you miss out on one of those two players, the miss there is not as significant as if you pass on CJ or Young for me. So I just think Tui is a little rich. Yeah, and they brought up another question in the chat here, which is if he sits for a year, his value is the most insulated. No, um, unless I'm win now, he seems the most bust proof year one. And that's probably the case, but I'm not making a move in the second round of a startup draft when I have more insulated quarterback, uh, you know, safety there in a Dak Prescott who's still been, you know, considered a first or second round value this late in his career, even after his, you know, most down year of his career. Um, and if Richardson misses, you know, you're you're risking a, a Trey Lance situation where you're three years from now, you really can't move him because nobody wants to pay you what he's worth. He's really stuck on your rosters in a lot of situations. And while I do agree that, you know, CJ and Bryce have to be top 10 passers to, match Richardson's fantasy production if everything goes right there's a bigger chance that things go wrong with the quarterback position than any other position in the NFL even with first round picks um, so even if Richardson goes that high I mean we're talking there's 25 seasons ever um, where a, a quarterback has run for more than 650 yards like we're, we're talking about a very niche scenario and we have to assume that if he's doing that you know the team has to be in a good enough spot to let him start. Someone, uh, you know, poised the question on Twitter. If he gives you two top six fantasy seasons and he's out of the league by his fourth year, out of a starting job by his fourth year, are you going to be happy that you took that at the 208? Sure, if you sold at the right time and you were able to eat the, the you know, bite the bullet year one and be successful years two and three in a league. But if he's out of a job by the fourth year, you know, it's going to look like a really tough situation to have, have insulated, you know, to sunk so much value into him. Yeah, and if you want to take that risk on Anthony Richardson, I think that risk comes in your rookie drafts, not in your yeah. startup draft. Going with him in the second round here, you are planting your flag. Your team is going to be in a struggle, very struggle situation if it does not work out right away. But if you are on your rookie draft and you have the 103 and you want to shoot on that upside because maybe your roster can afford a little bit more of a bust, I think that's completely fine. I don't have as much of an issue there Agreed. as I would with the startup. It's just very difficult for me to come in through the second round. We have this comment here from Jonathan. Three years, $105 million for Gino in Seattle. This news dropped literally within the last five minutes since we started. 
So that could potentially change things here because that is significant money. You don't give a quarterback $105 million and uh, go and draft somebody. Maybe they do. I don't know the details of that contract at this point if we have uh, outs on that contract, what the guaranteed money is. But that is certainly news, something that we will have to monitor and we will discuss in the upcoming weeks. Let's see. I want to talk third round reversal real quick, Jake. People are asking... You know, do you prefer the third round reversal in your dynasty startup drafts? What are the benefits? What are the drawbacks? I like anything that can make a draft more interesting. And I see more unique builds with three round reversal than I see with a standard snaking draft. Um, I really enjoy it. I very much have advocated it for it, you know, to be a, a favorite of mine. It just allows you to build teams in a different way than we see in a lot of the the standard startups. A lot of the mocks that we're doing, you know, like this one right here, you know, if you look at the 112 where they go Bijan, Brees, um, and then they go Kyle Pitts at 312, well, if that person was the 301, maybe Dak falls. Maybe they take a shot on Tua there because, you know, they know that they're starting off the third round. They can take a swing on a guy. You know, I like that team a little bit more if it's, you know, if like that or again on that, you know, Deshaun Kyler move. You know, maybe you take a different a swing on a different guy um, just because you can get, you know, a better player towards the end of that draft. You're starting to draft off with two potential top five quarterbacks and a, you know, a top six wide receiver, a top five running back. It's hard to beat, you know, that upside there. So I really like third round reversal. Um, I, I understand it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I do prefer it in my drafts. Um, it's not like a deal breaker for me. Uh, I have done and will continue to do both, um, but I very much like the idea of third round reversal. All right, quick, Jake. Chris Godwin or DeAndre Swift here match up with this team? Chris Godwin. All right, we'll lock him in there. So my thing with third-round reversal is talking about if it affects the 12 spot or the one spot more. I think it really, really depends on the season. I think saying in a wonderful, you know, in a vacuum, uh, the third-round reversal, you know, without it, you just, you get three top 25 players out of the one-on-one spot, including the best quarterback of the draft it just gives them too much of an advantage from the start and where i don't disagree with that sentiment it really depends where tiers fall mm -hmm. at that two three turn the three four turn the four five turn every single year which is different because you know where the tier breaks fall in your draft how your board falls can really much affect where you want to lie on which turn which turns are more valuable than others it can even change draft to draft so i wouldn't say that third round reversal for me necessary always changes who has the benefit in these drafts i do think depending on the year right like this year i think when you get that third round reversal for the 12 spot i'm almost always locking in a quarterback or two quarterbacks to start off that one turn you see the manager there passing on kyle murray for b john robinson following it up with Brees hall i just want to lock in one of those guys and then take best player available at 301 but just to say, it always changes the draft one way or another is fine. I agree with Jake. It keeps the draft interesting. It changes up certain aspects like trading. But on the counter to that, if you have a less experienced league, I think it could also confuse managers when they're going to trade, when they're trying to evaluate what their third means versus their fifth, when you have the reversal or not. I think it can really make an impact there. So sometimes for less experienced players, I do think the third round reversal, because of the trading aspect of dynasty startups, does add a little bit too much complication. Um, so it depends who you are drafting with. It depends on the season. In principle, I don't really mind any change like that in general. I just have to prepare differently.
Definitely. And I always advocate just make sure when you join your drafts that you pay attention to the league settings because I cannot tell you how many third round reversal drafts that I've been in where the 301 hits and then the person in the one or two spot is like, wait, I didn't know I would have picked different. And, you know, so just keep an eye on that. Make sure you're paying attention to what is going on there. We got Tony Pollard coming off the board here who did receive the franchise tag, which I think comes as a little bit of a surprise to certain people. Um, we were expecting Dalton Schultz probably to get that. So I do think that is important to note just because I would be a little more apprehensive with my Dalton Schultz shares. I don't necessarily know what I think of him. There has been rumors that a Dalton Kincaid type might sneak into Dallas at the end of the first round if they don't make a move to come up for a Bijan and signing a Pollard would echo the kind of that sentiment. So when we think Schultz is more of a product of that team, that offense is um, the passing attack in Dallas rather than his talent. And he's currently sitting with no contract and the team doesn't have a tag. I think he may be elsewhere at the end of the day. And that's a player that I would be very cautious of taking or acquiring in one of these startups, you know, unless he falls to a much lower round. But this is a guy people were taking in the top 10 rounds of a lot of these drafts. And I would be pumping the brakes on that one because we have new information and it, it doesn't bode well for Dalton Schultz. Somebody in the chat here is looking, they asked Pickens over Pittman, which personally, I think P- Pittman is a lot more safe, but I can see managers looking at Pittman, seeing his limitations. He's a player who does get good volume, but not a lot of yards per reception. Team doesn't necessarily have a quarterback. He's probably not more than a wide receiver two. Pickens is a highlight real year two coming up and year two in that offense rookie quarterback maybe you could see the upside i'm personally going Pittman every single time but i don't think Pittman is like a a locked and loaded dynasty stud in the way that we were hoping he would be uh going into last season yeah i agree with you there i'm i'm comfortably uh uh Pittman over pickens uh i'm i'm also going to be one of the lower people in the industry more than likely on george pickens um i just don't i just don't see him taking the jump that a lot of people do um but for me Pittman has already shown us he can produce at the nfl level the quarterback situation has been a little uh shaky to say the least he's uh, but they've adapted his role to what the quarterback strengths are which is something that i think shows that they want him to be the focal point of this offense uh, at least through the passing game um so for me it's comfortably pickens over or uh, Pittman over pickens but I can understand why someone would take the upside swing. It's hard to hard to look past the the highlight reel catches coming seemingly every other week. All right. So I want to quickly touch on Jordan Addison going there, kind of still keeping that high spot. Five nine is, you know, an aggressive play for Jordan Addison. He came in around, I think it was a four four nine, which people were hoping he'd be a tenth of a second a little bit faster there. He's still a small player. Jake, has your thoughts on Jordan Addison changed since the combine, or is he a player that kind of just has stayed where he was for you around that 107 mark in rookie drafts yeah he stayed uh pretty much exactly where he was for me uh nothing no i didn't see anything i didn't really expect um for me he made kenny pickett look like a, a competent quarterback I, that that alone for me uh is one of my favorite parts about him as a player um but i just i don't see any reason it's not like any other wide receivers showed up and showed out enough to to you know, move him off of where he was for me. Um, he's still a comfortable top three receiver in this class for me, and and nothing's really going to change that. Yeah, I think we were spoiled last year when we had Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave both come in at like a four three nine. Um, but with Jordan Addison, I think under four five is 
pretty okay. Stephon Diggs was a four four six, and he's beaten you know th- defensive backs in the NFL down the field for his entire career. So I don't think a four four nine is you know really going to kill him. When you go back and look at his tape, this is a player who won through separation. He went through route running, not necessarily pure burner speed. I think he's going to beat people downfield because he's going to he's going to lose them closer to the line, and you're going to see him get a lot of deep balls, and you're going to think he's a faster player than he is because he plays faster than that time. He is still a little small. He's a little soft. Those concerns haven't gone away. But if you were in love with Addison's film going into the combine, I don't think he has changed at all for you. Yeah, we basically just needed him to not run a 4-6, and he did that. So I'm still full speed ahead with him. No, no major concerns here. Another guy where, for me, he's probably stayed right where he was, but I want to quickly touch on the running back there just going Zach Charbonnet LSU who some people were a little underwhelmed from his combine coming in a four five three I think people are expecting a more towards four four six four four seven Jake has Charbonnet gone up down in your boards and regardless of that how do you feel about taking a rookie running back where we don't necessarily know where he's going to land what the draft card is in round six yeah, for me, uh, round six, I'm fine taking that risk, um, especially if I'm high on a player. Um, uh, with the way that the board is falling too, you know, it's do you take a younger running back or do you, you know, take some of the veterans that are out there? Um, for me, uh, uh, Charbonnet, he's running back probably four for me uh, in the class. I'm fine taking that risk here, especially if you're high on the player. With that build, I probably would have gone wide receiver there. Um, I don't prefer robust RB builds, <laughs> contrary to the last time I was on this show and took four running backs in the first five rounds. Um, but again, I, I don't think his pro, I don't think his stock really fell at all for me. Um, he still had, you know, a, a very solid 40 for his size, uh, still had a solid 10 yard split faster than a lot of people. than you know, some guys that I think people thought were going to run a little bit faster. Um, I think he just pretty much stayed in the same spot for me. The combine didn't really change my outlook on too many players. Okay. So, we're coming up on the clock here, Jake. And I think Debo Samuel is a standout, but I expect him probably to go here at 6'11", especially if ZT12 just heard me say that. Um, ooh, ego. So I'm going to lock Debo Samuel in here. Still a player where I have him right next to Chris Godwin in rankings, where when he's out there on the field, he is the go-to guy for that team. He's an important part of the offense. Even though his rushing has gone down a little bit, he's still does wonders with the ball in his hand where he can make a lot happen on a little. And if the volume is up, his ceiling is higher than I think people give him credit for as your wide receiver three. I think that is a good risk. So not many thoughts there on Debo. but when we're sitting here on the clock, Jake, and we already have Travis Kelsey's where normally I know you'd be going Dallas Goddard at this spot. How do we feel? We're going to lock in maybe our wide receiver four, three, four of the class and a Josh down. So we expect to be kind of a one ten, one eleven. a player like Jahan Dotson, who, is roughly worth the same value of play we were taking at the same spot last year. I think Downs and Dotson are very similar players. Or is this where you take a risk on a Will Levis, expecting this guy to go top 10? We have two quarterback safety. We don't necessarily need this guy to absolutely, you know, be a world stopper. What are our, our thoughts here? Yeah, so for me, with a little bit more established value already at the wide receiver position, I don't hate taking the swing on Josh Downs. Um, Josh Downs, 
you know, he had the fit the, you know, tied for the second or uh, yeah, tied for the third fastest 10 yard split amongst the wide receivers who ran the forties. So basically, you know, the explosiveness, we, we know it's there, the speed, we know it's there. We know the dude can run a, a gambit of routes. There's just not a lot of concerns for me with Josh Downs. I love Jahan Dotson, um, but I don't mind taking a swing on a little bit of a younger long shot here. Okay. I guess we'll lock in Josh Downs. So this is just you saying, Totally out on Will Levis. You just yeah, you're not I'm, interested. Don't believe yeah. in the player. The draft capital doesn't mean anything to you, Jake. I said it on Twitter. I said if you want a quarterback, you draft CJ Stroud. If you want a dynamic thrower, you draft Bryce Young. If you want a freak athlete who could turn into something great, you want Anthony Richardson. And if you want to draft a senior citizen, you grab Will Levis. Like <laughs> you can't brag about having a cannon and then have your arm matched velocity wise by five different quarterbacks. You just can't do it. The it's, disrespect it, of our favorite State Farm agent, sets of Bennett. Come on. Hey, man. That's what I'm saying. You, you got Bennett and Stroud who match it. You have DTR who beats it. Richardson beats it. Like, you can't, you can't brag about your one best thing being your arm strength and then have it matched and, and right. comfortably matched by a couple different people. So, for me, you know, that... Again, the combine didn't really change a whole lot for me. It's not like I'm moving any quarterback over Will Levis. Um, he's still my quarterback for... I just don't think that matters, and I'm not going to take that in a startup. I would take him over Kenny Pickett probably just because we haven't seen Will Levis be bad in the NFL. We have seen Kenny Pickett be bad in the NFL. Um, but, you know, I uh, I am personally not really going to draft Will Levis uh, in startups. Uh, if in a rookie draft, if he falls to the second, right. um, especially with first-round capital, I'll probably take him. Especially with Geno Smith being a player, we could potentially lock in at the 8-9 turn as a QB three option behind these guys, or we can fade the position even further because with Dak and Mahomes, I think we are pretty darn set. At least we can feel that way. I do want to say with Jahan Dotson, uh, I really like the pick there. I will say with downs, he's a player that is very similar to Dotson, very similar to Elijah Moore the year four, where this is going to be a player where we're going to be absolutely banging the drum. I think I can very confident, confidently say he's a lock in my top 12 in our dynasty rookie rankings. And he will be probably sliding into the second round of a lot of drafts. And just like Jahan Dotson last year, he has no business in the second round. So you're going to hear a lot of JWB banging the drum, I think, for Josh Downs, a little closer to draft season where this is a guy who, if he falls into the second, we're going to be trading probably a little aggressively to get in there because he shouldn't be at that spot. He profiles to be almost a carbon clone of what we got from Elijah Moore, John Dodson in the past couple of seasons as an actual player too. And I love these, I love these 5'10", 180 pound silky smooth boys uh, that just run. They can play outside. They can dominate the slot. I just, I really like those types of players in the NFL. Let's see. We have another question for our ideal roster size and i'll combine that with our starting roster size um i'll take this one to start i think roster size the absolute minimum you can go to is 25 that's in that's probably maybe including your taxi i think 25 maybe is as shallow as i will go for roster size i think once you get down to like 18 20 this is a glorified keeper league, redraft league, because a lot of those are, you know, 18, 20 players deep. There's going to be players on the waiver wire every single year that are worth a lot to pick up. And that's going to completely diminish the value of draft picks in the third round of your rookie drafts or even deeper. Um, but once we get to 25, we probably keep rookie value through four rounds. And, 
you know, I have more options and the waiver wire is not nearly as strong. There really shouldn't be players in your dynasty league with a tremendous amount of value on the waiver wire. It's my personal opinion. If I want waiver wire value, I'm probably playing in more of a keeper format. Maybe we keep 10 players. We we're, we're 20 deep. I can rotate the end of my bench each year, keep it interesting, or I'm just going to keep that for my more of my redraft and rot the first starters. I personally, as we said, we always have that super flex, right? So we have super flex. I'm bumping nine starters up to 10. So I think 10 is probably my bare minimum. Your 10 team leagues, that's a hundred players. Your 12 team, that's 120. I think that's a really good benchmark, especially when you're drafting, you can think of it. Okay. So we got nine rounds for 12, 10 rounds for 10. And that's kind of how deep in the startup draft I'm thinking about my starters. I think it's really appropriate. You can either go two wide receivers, two running backs, three flexes there with the tight end and the quarterback super flex or three wide receivers, two running backs, two flexes. I think I'm pretty darn set with that being my optimal dynasty roster size. How do you feel, Jake? Yeah, I'm right there with you. Basically, if I'm setting up a league, um, I typically do 10 starting. Uh, I'll switch up, like you said, kind of just the wide receiver running back flex ratio. Um, I prefer having at least two running backs in there. I know a lot of people have started to kind of transition to like one running back, couple wide receivers, a lot of flexes. Um, I don't love it as much, uh, though it does allow for some more flexibility there. But then after, you know, we look at those 10 guys who are starting, my basic rule of thumb is I go one and a half times the starting size for the bench um, in any dynasty league that I do. Uh, you do a taxi spot per uh, rookie draft spot. So if you have five rookie draft rounds, you do five taxi spots. If you have four rounds, you do four spots, et cetera. And then I just throw four IR spots in there as well. I think it's a nice balanced number. Um, just be careful if you're setting the startup up. Um, if you hold off on putting those IR spots in there, that's typically better um, because otherwise it adds four rounds to your rookie draft or to your startup draft. And then you're like, why am I drafting 38 people? And that's why. So um, just make sure you know you you pay attention to when you add those in. It, it can make the draft drag on a little bit. Um, and I, I honestly have done three startups this offseason and all three of them, we got to like the 28th round. And we were like, hey guys, you, you want to just get to 30 and we'll call it here. So I think, you know, leaving yourself around a 30 round draft is you're, you're getting to the bottom of the barrel there as is. So, okay. I will say quickly before we transition to that with Pickett, Levis love kind of getting shoved up the board here. I love a lot of these wide receiver values here at the seventh, uh, Deontay Johnson, Mike Evans there in the eighth, Amari Cooper end of the seventh. I really like the value there for me personally, just production that I think you can really depend on, uh, at a bit of a discount. I want to touch on here. My boy Chuck, shout out Buffalo, circle to wagons there. The 110, picking up Calvin Ridley, Derek Henry, Mike Evans. I won't go on a soapbox about Mike Evans and Dynasty Fantasy Football this week like we did the last a bazillion Mondays in a row. But I would do want to say Derek Henry, there's talks today about a potential trade situation, which is definitely one to keep an eye on for. Um, it's hard to say without knowing exactly where he'd go, what kind of a situation it'd be, how that would affect his Dynasty value. But it's definitely one to be interested. And similarly with Calvin Ridley, we are all expecting it, but he was reinstated for football. So he will be out there with the Jags next season, um, which is definitely one to watch. We're definitely going to have to, I'll have updates on my opinions about Jacksonville more specifically in a few months when we go through projections and I go through each team's coaching staffs and kind of crank out how I expect that team to produce at the team level and then how I divvy it up. So two interesting notes there to announce. I will talk Alan Robinson because he's not going to get drafted. Might as well touch now. Potential talks about him getting traded today, uh, or not today, but today talks about him potentially getting traded and moved on. I think Allen Robinson don't fall for the trap three times in a row. I think we're about out on Allen Robinson, but 
Still, it was worth noting Josh Jacobs, a player who went a lot earlier there in the fourth, received the tag. I think we were expecting that to happen. What Vegas will do is very interesting. Did they trade up and try to lock in a rookie quarterback? Uh, maybe they're one of these teams that's more aggressive to move up to one or three, or maybe they stay put and a guy like Levis kind of falls there, and then maybe they also or independently sign a player like Jimmy Garoppolo. That is a situation worth keeping an eye on. I will say Jimmy Garoppolo after cutting Derek Carr seems wild to me because you're getting a more injury-prone, worse version of the same quarterback. Um, maybe maybe Jimmy's a little... They're, they're, they do have some differences, but I think the limitations are relatively equal. Uh, Jake, I'm on the clock here for us, and... Is Kirk Cousins here just kind of like a an auto little here at the eight nine turn? Even though we have Dak and Mahomes, or what are your thoughts there? Um, yeah, that's probably. I would probably just do a quick double tap here, uh, looking at this board. How I would probably go, saying I'm I don't have a running back here, but I think I otherwise have a really really competitive team. Some good running back values falling down the board a little bit. This is where I like to snag Aaron Jones, and then I think Kirk passed the. Se- Kirk should probably be going in like the sixth. Um, Kirk at this point in the draft is basically a smash. Like after must... Pickett and Levis and Love, I mean, what are we doing here, Kirk Cousins? I mean, you're going to get another hopefully minimum two seasons, could be up to four, where he's just going to be a fringe QB one. Some years he's going to sneak in as high as eight. Other years he's going to fall as low as fifteen. But that's the range you're getting with Kirk Cousins. He's just a fringe QB one which is tremendously value in Superflex. I think that's a little bit of an overthought. I think people are a little excited on these rookies. We're seeing Hyatt getting pushed up the board. We see Butte still going out here. We saw Charbonnet. I think personally around six is about three rounds too high without knowing where exactly he's going with, he might not even be the RB3 in this class. A couple of those other guys are still not here. Uh, yeah, I think Kirk Cousins is an absolute no-brainer. And then with what Jake was saying, we touched on Aaron Jones in past drafts. Once you get to this point in, in the draft, Aaron Jones is probably just going to be an RB1 for another season next year, which is just kind of his motif. And when we have everything locked up and we got a player like Travis Kelsey, who's just immediately going to help us compete him with Patrick Mahomes stacked up. I do want to get a running back on here that I can put in my lineup each week who can give me big weeks at times. There's also the potential that with Aaron Rodgers leaving this team that they do lean more on what they have out of Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon in the backfield. And that could at least keep Aaron Jones around where he has been even if the efficiency and the touchdowns come down at the team level. Okay, so next setting we have here, I will just quickly take this one, kicker and defense. Thoughts on that? No, get rid of them. I don't think we need them here in Dynasty Football. Leave that for our redraft. It's cool to stream them, be able to play that game, but in Dynasty, when everyone is rostering them, there's not a whole lot of strategy, right? They don't hold any trade value. There's none on the wire to stream. At least there really shouldn't be. And you're just kind of stuck with who you have. And year to year, who is good for defenses is the variance there is so significant, as well with kickers traditionally year over year, where I think it's really difficult to put a lot of stock into these guys. And I think it's just going to add a dynamic to your dynasty team that just isn't necessary, as well as if you're holding at least two kickers because you've got a bye week and you're holding, let's say, three defenses, two to three defenses, because you want to be able to have some kind of a streaming option. That's five roster spots. Right. If you were adding a kicker in defense, I'm not going to hold you back. I personally wouldn't do it. But if you're going to add those two, you need to add at least five more roster spots. And the majority of leagues I see that have kicker in defense are only 20 to 25 deep to begin with. Yep. I'm just not here for it. I don't think it's necessary. You can include it. 
sure, but you just got to understand what it does to your league and how it takes away from your rosters. So I would just be cautious uh, with those guys. So, yeah, I have nothing to add, by the way. That is, it should just be a default. I, I wish the second you click on Dynasty in a league that kickers and defenses are just gone. The only value a kicker has to me in a Dynasty league is during the startup when we're drafting rookie picks. That's the only time I've ever had kicker involved in Dynasty, and that's the only time I feel it should be. Jaguar, I do want to say, man, you're playing with fire. You're playing with fire when you see... Sid Hearth eight there at the 12 spot who also does not have a quarterback and has two picks before you. And we're sitting here with Gino, Aaron, Mac Stafford, probably it's the last four. And there's another team who just took it up by 20 with only one quarterback. You're expecting a minimum of three to go. You need two. There's four left. I think you played the game. Sure. You took up value. You like Nick Chubb. You like Amar Cooper. You like Dalvin cook fine with those prices, proven veteran production. But what is this team? when you're going to have one starting quarterback on it. Geno Smith was the pick there at 908. I think that was a very missed opportunity. You take Geno at 908, and then you pray one of those four guys, Mac Jones, Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford, come back there in the 10th, and I would just double tap the position. I do just want to say before we moved on, I think that was an, a very missed opportunity where I would have been, your team probably would have been my favorite if you had crushed the two uh, players there, but Joe Mixon is just not a needed player. Him having boom bust, maybe RB2 floor, you don't need that when he's either your last flex or the first guy off the bench with four stud wide receivers and then three veteran running backs. You did not need that pick. It was not necessary. Just as we expected, Aaron Rodgers, Matthew Stafford getting hammered on that turn. Have fun with Brock Purdy in week eight. Yeah, I was right there with you. Um, I, it, we always talk at the end, you know, we look through these teams and, and talk about what some of our favorites are. I would have said that that team, uh, assuming running back health, uh, is damn near unbeatable if they have you know two good quarterbacks. If they could get a Geno, and even with like a Mac as a quarterback too, like that team is going to be so damn hard to beat. You have three top five wide receivers, uh, more than likely next year. Multiple guys who are going to be top running backs. You know, it's it just I don't love it. Yeah, Toronto Dave saying. Off the bench, like a sixth man, yes, but off the bench when you don't have a player on your NBA team over the height of six foot five. Good luck getting a rebound. So we we just always say, you know, with these quarterbacks, we, I've tried to say it on stream each week. It's like you're throwing a party. You got to build up your house. What do you start with? Some people maybe patch together a quick little roof at the end after getting beautiful furniture, a nice sound system, getting all the booze in the world. You still throw a great party. Down the line, you're going to have to figure that roof out, but at least... The first party is an absolute banger. That's kind of the thought here when you skip quarterback or you want to just build, get a roof that's going to last you for 25, 50 years. And then we can get furniture when it comes on sale. We can get nice sound system right after. So we can at least hang out and have a little fun in the meantime. But when you get really nice furniture and then you don't even have, a, you know, a ceiling, you don't even have a roof. I mean, good luck when it rains. Um, you can lose a lot of value on those players very, very quickly. Moving on here, I do want to touch on, we're going to talk league median. Before I do that, I should have said this at the beginning. You have to have bylaws written, posted for every single person in your dynasty leagues to look at. That is my deal breaker when we're talking league settings. Screw that. 
you need to have bylaws. It's got the commissioner has to draft them up, post them, everyone review it before the draft. Once everyone pays their dues before the draft, which is also a must for me, then they're locked in. You can discuss them before, but once the draft starts, the setting should be set at the end of each year or before the next season. Maybe you take a vote, depending on how you set it up in your bylaws. It's a majority basis to change anything, but without the bylaws, there's just nothing to reference. You're going off the word of the commissioner. You're going off who remembers what. The foundation there for your league is just shaky. We're playing Dynasty. We want this to be indefinite. That's the thought behind it. And without the bylaws, there's there's a lot of room for a disaster with your league. You just have to have them. That being said, league median. Thoughts on a league median, Jake? I love it. It, it really... Ghost, it shows you who builds the best teams, right? I've, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten unlucky um, with weekly matchups that just don't make sense. You know, the, a, a team who's the second highest scorer every single week should not be, you know, just stuck with a loss if they play the highest scorer, which seems to happen like every week in every league that I'm in where like the second highest scorer is down there. The league median really shows you who the best six teams are, in my opinion, to make the playoffs or four teams. If you do it that way, um, I, I really just go, it, it gets the right teams into the right spots. It allows for a little bit less uh, manipulation of tanking just because every once in a while you, you'll see those tanking teams sneak under the media or sneak over the median. Um, and then all of a sudden they're like, why am I not the last pick anymore or the first pick? Um, so for me, I love having a median. It's not a deal breaker, um, but it is certainly something that I very, very much enjoy and I advocate for very heavily in every league I'm in. Yeah, I don't mind the league median. I think what it does is it does. It pushes the best teams at the top. You really do have the best teams finish there, which if you're a team of whiners and complainers, well, I was I lost, but I was third in scoring this week. That's the setting for you. The best teams are going to be at the top. The counter will have to that is it does add sort of the nature of fantasy football. And we have a little bit of variance and the best team doesn't always finish at the top. And each week, anyone can beat anyone just without the median. It kind of keeps that going. You know, a team can, uh, it can try to tank as well. And it doesn't necessarily finish down there where it expects to. And maybe we get a little more variance at the bottom. It leans teams to push to compete no matter what situation you are in because you you can re- you can get up there and have a successful season even if your roster isn't necessarily the best. I like that natural variance. It allows anyone to try to compete or anyone to tank. Um, but I can't complain with the median. I have leagues with the median, and the best teams usually sit at the top, and I think that's totally, totally fine. I'm going to take the first pick here. I'm going to take Sean Tucker, who potentially at the end of the day might shake out as my RB3 in this class. He came in. His size, you know, 207 is more than I wanted to see. Very exciting. I was disappointed that he didn't run the 40 because I would have liked to have seen that time. Because if that ended up being, you know, sub 4-4, um, I, I would have had his locked as Barbie 3. But I do like his ability as a, a, a potential Belko back who can receive the ball out of the backfield when necessary, make a big play out of it. And a lot of his production came off a few big plays, but he has the size to handle uh, more of a full workload as well. The draft capital will be huge there, but I don't think the risk at round 10 is the same as taking a Charbonnet in round six. If we took Tucker in round six, and he doesn't get the draft capital. Uh, we're in a really tough situation. So I don't mind Tucker here. Jake, am I just taking Khalil Herbert, our boy here, to back up our running back room? Or is there anyone else here that kind of stands out to you? Maybe Brian Robinson a little safer, Devin a chain with the way he tested, locking another tight end. Ryan Tana, what are you thinking? Yeah, I like Herbert here. I'm uh, completely fine with that pick. I don't know 
Herbert, as a Bears fan, he can't pass block, and that's something that we seem to really want out of our running back. So I don't know fully if he's going to get that full role that we want him to. But if he gets that role, I mean, we're talking about a, the guy who led the NFL in rushing yards over expected per attempt last year. Like this, there was nobody more efficient on a per touch basis than Khalil Herbert. Like this guy is an insanely talented runner. He reads the field so, so well. If he can just figure out how to just take somebody's legs out or just like consistently target the right guy, you know, sky is the limit for him as an RB one in an offense, but at round 11, he's the only guy left that I see having a full workload potential built into his skill set. Um, so for me, he's pretty easily the pick here. Um, Kamara, if I thought there was a chance he wasn't missing half the season, I, I may be tempted there. Um, but I, I would go Herbert here just because he's so damn talented. And if he, if he's the RB one there, we just got an RB one who's going to play, you know, 17 games, assuming health in the 11th round. And you just cannot beat that value. Yeah, I think I'm just out on Alvin Kamara. I agree with everything you say. I'm just saying I'm quickly looking at Alvin Kamara. I think acquiring Alvin Kamara or drafting Alvin Kamara, I'm out. If I have him on my team, it's a different situation. We're going to yeah. talk about the median outcome. What is if it's worth selling? Like, I don't think I'm taking a late second over Alvin Kamara. Uh, I'm just going to keep him and hope I get some production. Hope everything goes his way. But I'm not going out of my way to bring Alvin Kamara into the team. Uh, and I think that's why Kula Haru was was the pick there for me as well. Just an insanely talented runner, a run heavy offense. You're, you're right, though. It's the pass block. That's why Dave Montgomery was such a good partner for him. You're hoping a guy comes in who just – he comes in on those downs and doesn't necessarily get a ton of work, and Herbert gets the value touches. Um, my big thing with Cole Herbert, with knowing that he can finish as the RB1 on any given week, is when Dave Montgomery inevitably doesn't sign with Chicago – I think he's going to have a bump in market. I think he's going to be managers are going to come in and give me a 24 first for Khalil Herbert uh, in my league. And when we're in the 11th round, there aren't a lot of guys here that command a first round pick. I mean, Tank Bigsby is going to go around the two, three turn. A chain's a late second. Kamara, as we just talked about with his value, Rice is a late second. Juju is a late second, early third. Like these players don't hold a lot of value. They are not worth a whole lot. I don't know where the ceiling is necessarily in market where Khalil Herbert, if I can move him for a first, there aren't players around here that I'm getting that value on with the last of them, you know, the Pachecos or Evans, Algier off the board. I just like Kalu Herbert here a lot. I think it's a discount when you're looking at guys like James Cook two rounds earlier, um, Cam Akers two rounds earlier, AJ Dillon two rounds earlier. So I'm a big fan of him at the spot. I want to talk about trade deadline. This is Always a hot topic. You want to get clicks, go tweet your opinion about the trade deadline. I'll personally say I'm team never trade deadline. We just don't need it. As Dynasty fans of football, we're playing year-round. I like teams to be able to make moves whenever, wherever, however. Yeah. It keeps your league fun. It keeps your league active. When you block out a huge section of the season, I think you lose a lot of managers who just kind of close up shop. Their season's over. See you later. And I think there's a lot of value to be had for both sides of trades that happen during the playoffs. I know managers get salty when a, a team they're coming up against in the playoffs makes a big move, brings in Devontae Adams in the middle of the playoffs, Derrick Henry in the middle of the playoffs. My argument for that is you can always go match them. Yep. You can always go make a deal to compete, or you can sit and have confidence in your team. And if it's Derrick Henry coming in that closes your championship aspirations, your team might not just have been good enough. Right, And if your team isn't good enough, you might not want to go out and add the piece to compete with them bringing in pieces as well. 
It just gives you options. It keeps things interesting. And if you're a team that is out of the playoffs, or maybe you're in the playoffs and you don't see a hope, so you just don't want to tank your draft even more, it gives you the option to get off of these players before the offseason hits and their value goes for about eight months. So I like it for both sides. It allows teams to get off of these veterans before the offseason hits and it allows teams competing to maybe bring that one last guy in. Uh, I'm a big fan of no trade deadline. I know a lot of managers like it old school. I know Jake is right there with me, so we will move past it. Um, Jake, what are your thoughts on your ideal way to sort out your rookie order? Uh, for me, I prefer uh, the situation that I mentioned earlier where you draft the rookie picks. Um, if you're talking about, you know, first year of your draft has happened, you're going into your second year. How do you like, how do I like that to shake out? Um, I like to use max points for, it really determines who the teams that need the most draft capital uh, moving forward are. Um, so I use max points for, I use that to determine the six playoff spots that do not make the playoffs in a 12 team league. Um, and then from there, I prefer the winners of the matchups to, uh, to get the higher pick until you get to the championship. So the winner of the five, six game, uh, they're the, uh, the six, five seed, whatever you want to call that. The winner of that game gets the earlier pick. The winner of the three, four game gets the earlier pick. And then with the championship, um, obviously the winner gets the last pick there. They are the best team. They don't need the, in theory, need the least help there. Um, that's really how I like to shake it out. I think it still encourages teams to stay active during the playoffs and continue to try and perform um, as opposed to tanking. A lot of people go, ah, well, what's one spot? What's one rookie draft spot? Well, that could be a huge tear break. You know, we're looking at it this year where that sixth pick in the draft, you know, after that, there's some tear breaks. There's some guys that are going to be higher and, and you that one spot could be you getting a guy that you love versus you being stuck taking a guy you hating or trying to trade out. Um, so for me, that's what I have found is the most productive way to do the rookie draft order. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I will. I'll touch base on that before. We'll finish out with this last pick. I do want to say we will take either Tajay Spears or Israel here where I'm more on the Israel side. I think his size is going to be just perfect for the NFL. Everything we love about Tower Geo, Brian Robinson, this guy, except I think he's maybe a better runner than the two. He could be, for me, as early as the early, early second, kind of 203, 204 in rookie drafts. So I think it's a great value here. I'm in the 12th. We would have the 1301. So I'd probably just be double tapping these guys. But Tajay Spears, he measured big. He profiles to be fast. He didn't run. It's unfortunate. But this is a player who, if he lands in the correct spot, he's going to fly up draft boards where he was a mid third, our pre-combine ADP. This is a guy who could be going as early as the one, two turn. I promise you. So keep an eye on it for Spears. I'll take Spears here. Mental note it that we would have taken Israel to follow it up as much as we're a little thin at wide receiver. I think that would solidify running back for the rest of the draft. I'd be really happy with that room. We have youth upside here. Aaron Jones kind of leading the way. And if we could always even move off Aaron Jones, depending on how things go, or one of these guys in season. And as we said about moving Khalil Herbert for a 24 first, if we bring in Spears, Israel, Tucker, Aaron Jones, and Khalil Herbert gets that spot, I'm definitely moving him for a 24 first or trying to yep. flip him for a wide receiver who can kind of give us a little depth if Chris Godwin takes a little step back without what we see from that pass attack. Josh Downs, if he isn't that guy or he's hurt like a Jahan Dotson is a rookie if Garrett Wilson doesn't take the leap or if Debo Samuel's hurt so that's kind of how it would go here it wraps that out I want to say for the rookie order there's ways to manipulate both max points for 
and reverse standings. Reverse standings, if your bylaws, which shout out to Ronald Dave, who somewhere in here said, shout out JWP bylaws. If you want good bylaws, at least to start with, you can always change things. You want to play full PPR. You want to play a tight, you know, boosted tight end premium. That's fine. But if you want a good base for your bylaws, come jump into Discord in the description, video in the description, or you can DM me and I'll send you a copy of our template. Um, there's ways to manipulate it either way. If you have in your bylaws a no tanking clause, it's very easy to identify people not playing their best lineup. That shouldn't be happening. So you shouldn't really have with the reverse other than the natural variance of managers losing who shouldn't be losing. But with the max points four, I get a huge advantage rather than keeping a lot of any boom bust player on my bench, a player who can pop off for 30 and disappear for the rest of the time. I just would trade them. I hold draft picks. I have all draft picks on the year. I don't plan yep. on competing. And my max points four is going to be way down. Even though my assets are equal to a team who might have players, veterans, depth on their bench, it benefits me to have no depth. It benefits me to stockpile draft picks. And then I, in turn, actually increase the value of my own draft picks by doing that. I think that's one way to play around and boost your team for max points four, which some managers might not like that a team is just giving away players because it helps them to have less guys on their team. With the reverse standings, there's little things you can do. Like, again, if you don't have something in your bylaws saying first round rookie picks can't be on your bench, maybe you stockpile rookie picks and then you put last year, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, Drake Lennon, all in your taxi squad. You got nothing from them into your actual lineup. Or if you played max points four, they'd go against you being in your taxi squad. That's another way to manipulate that setting. I think if somebody's looking to try to play the system, there's a way to play every system. Yeah. You know, we're going to be creative here. If it's not in the bylaws, it's all fair game. As long as you can take the heat from people saying you're a scumbag, <laughs> like there's ways to play around every single setting. So you just want to say, I'm not partial to max points with reverse. I think it's a little easier, especially when you played a lot of leagues to track reverse than max points for. And as a guy who's a commissioner of a dumb amount of leagues, I think that's where I stand on that. It's just easier to track, but yep. I'm cool with it either way. And I'm also one little thing I like to put in too. Um, maybe if it's one with your friends, one where I'm going to take that extra little time to track it. I like to add the third place game and the fifth place game where the third place team, the winner of the three, four matchup gets the better draft pick and the yeah. five, six, the winner gets the better draft pick. It just keeps teams tuned in for an extra week. It keeps them more involved. That being said, it's like first place gets 112, second place gets 111. Great. But the manager who gets third place actually gets 109, and the manager who lost that third place game gets 110. Same thing with that, the way that works for five and six. I think you can pick up where I'm saying. I just think it keeps teams around. Yeah. It adds a little more to that final week of fantasy playoffs for your league, which could be beneficial. Maybe it's too much work of tracking. But that is just a little wrinkle I like to throw in. I will say with any other setting we have written here, people like our thoughts on point per first down, accuracy adjusters for quarterbacks, like you see in Scott Fishbowl or a lot of other redraft leagues. I'm fine with them. I think it's cool. I think if you do it correctly, it can make your league more unique. It can change the drafts. If managers are reading the bylaws of scoring settings, they'll see this. Your point first down running backs get a boost. Just running quarterbacks get a boost. Your workload backs kind of get bumped up to those pass catching backs where the volume really does play in here because they get that bump for first down your slot receivers who might only catch three passes like a Beasley back in the day, but it was three first downs. They get a little boost because it's important for football to move the chains. I like it. I think it's cool. 
I would just say personally, because I play in a lot of leagues, I don't really like getting too crazy with it. I like thing to every everything to kind of just be uniform. It helps too when I have conversations. I think the best part of Dynasty football is the conversations we have in our Discord. You can find it in the description. Please join if you aren't already. And those conversations make everything interesting. And when I have to preface every single conversation with, well, this league is five points for a passing touch touchdown uh 0.33 for every first down it's uh 1.7 for tight ends 1.2 for running backs people people are out the, the conversation's kind of done there's too much nuance to it um so where it is interesting it takes away a little bit for me there i have to put a lot of extra time in to understand my league settings and what makes certain players better because of those settings and i don't always have that time personally i'm not gonna lie i think if you played in like three dynasty leagues a home league one with online people, and then maybe one that's a little crazier settings. That could be very interesting. You can put a lot of time into it. But for me personally, I just don't have that time. So that's where I stand on any of these crazy little settings. Um, I think before we want to get out, I'll ask you, Jake, how do you feel about the Derek Carr signing? I don't think we really got to it. He came off the board here at the eighth, which or the ninth round, which I think is a good value. It's a guy who's going to finish somewhere between quarterback 13 and quarterback 24 every single year of his career. That's where he's going to finish. It's going to be just a boring QB2, which has value in Superflex. But how do you feel about him going to New Orleans? What effect do you think it has on Chris Olave? And is there anyone else on the team that excites you with maybe Jarvis being dust off the team, not under contract, Michael Thomas most likely getting moved, cut, and a guy like Rashid Shahid showing out exciting at times last year? Yeah, I think it's a big boost for Chris Olave. Um, I don't think... Andy Dalton really played to his skill set the best, um, being just that Andy Dalton is not a great quarterback, um, just to be flat out brutally honest there. Um, for the Saints as an organization, I don't think it was the right move. Uh, you have to be bad to be good, um, and they they need a, they need a tank desperately here um, to get their situations all back in order there. But um, from a fantasy football perspective, I think it was probably the best case scenario just because I don't think realistically the Jets were an option. The Jets seem very very, very committed to uh, making a splash for Aaron Rodgers, or they'll probably just take a Jimmy G after free agency shakes out. Um, there's really not a better landing spot for him, in my opinion. So from a fantasy perspective for him and Olave, I love it. Um, I wish I knew if Jawan Johnson was going to be on the team next year, because mm -hmm. that would really interest me. Um, but uh, with him not there uh, or not guaranteed to be there, I do like Shahid as a late flyer in startups. Um, he's going, you know, 15th round or later where you're just you know, reaching purely for upside here. There's a chance that he's, you know, kind of that next Gabe Davis, a guy that we, you know, we recognize the upside for it and just never pans out. Um, but I, I don't mind taking a shot on him, you know, later in drafts. Uh, uh, past that, though, um, I don't really think it does a whole lot for the running back value. Um, if Kamara plays, he's going to get targets. I'm not worried about him not targeting there, um, not targeting the, uh, the running backs, uh, as people have that myth with Derek Carr. Um, but you know, really, it it just makes Chris Olave pretty much a smash tw top 12 wide receiver for me in redraft next year. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I'm really hoping that those two kind of connect as the main target for Derek Carr. The main target for Derek Carr has always been fed very nicely. Uh, and Chris Olave is a player who can do everything. So whatever Derek Carr likes to play, Chris Olave can play underneath. He can go get it deep. He, he can play at every level of the field. So I'm very excited for that. I do think Shahid might get a little, little bit of, boost, of a boost here. I wouldn't go too crazy with that because they can always bring in other names. Uh, as I said, Michael Thomas out of town. I would like to know 
what happens with Juwan Johnson as well, a player who did have a role in this offense as kind of the big target, played more of a wide receiver. I know he's listed as tight end, but he's basically a wide receiver because he's yep. like 6'3", 225. He's, he's little for what a tight end would be. Um, but he might he might be on the way out. I think that's kind of the way it's looking right now where a team might give him a little bit of money because he fits kind of a niche role. And the tight end market is really weird right now. What I will say about it is on the NFL level, a lot of teams have to overpay for mid right now. And yep. teams don't like to overpay for mid. You see, I think maybe Dallas made that decision with Dalton Schultz where he played well as a safety blanket, but they just didn't want to give him all, allocate all that money to Dalton Schultz on the tag. When Tony Pollard is a more impactful player to this offense. Uh, a lot of guys like Mike Kosicki might be in a tough time. I don't know what that contract is going to look like. A couple of these guys who are on their way out of teams might not get the contracts they want. When we see a draft class like this one coming up where there could be three tight ends going in the first round, there could be five or six guys going in the first two rounds. I think we might see six or seven go on by the end of day two. Are these guys talented? Yes. I think it's a good, good tight end class, but because of that need for tight end, kind of a lot of guys aging out, a lot of mid for tight end that you'd have to overpay for. I think teams will also, they won't be shy to reach a little bit on tight ends in this class. Um, just because of how value it can be if one of those players hit. So I think with teams potentially reaching a little bit on these tight ends, their draft capital might look a little nicer, which in turn, people in Dynasty might be a little more interested in them, where I'm not saying that they're going to be overpriced because I do like the players, so don't hear what I'm not saying. I do say, think it's something to keep an eye on. And similarly for your Dynasty teams, a lot of these mid-tight ends, I wouldn't overpay because if you can, especially if you can move off of them for a lot of these third and fourth round rookie picks, this is a good year to stockpile those guys. Throw them in your taxi. Take four or five got tight ends late. And if two of them pan out, like a guy like Chica Conquo did, or to a lesser extent, a player like Isaiah Likely or Daniel Bellinger or something like that, you might get depth in a better and more effective way than going and overpaying for mid. Getting Dalton Schultz, getting Hunter Henry in years past, getting um, the guy who left Cleveland, uh, who uh, the Atlanta tight end helped me out here quick. Jake. Austin Hooper, Austin Hooper, like these types of players, you know, I think resetting you hit on a Chiga Conquo, you hit on a well, Pat Fryman who's a little bit of a prospect. It could be very, very nice. I will say don't sleep on Dalton Kincaid. Don't sleep on Darnell Washington, especially if these guys go around one it could be very intriguing players at that two, three turn of your rookie drafts. Before we get out of here, I want to talk about the one Oh six. Also Evan Ingram did get tagged. I forgot to talk about that as a player. So if you didn't know that back in Jacksonville, I think that's probably a good thing. We know who he is conversation for a different day, but the one Oh six in your Superflex rookie drafts, it got a boost this weekend. If you didn't take a look at the combine, you don't put too much stock into the combine. That's fine. It got a boost. Jameer Gibbs had the size that I think people were just, they weren't sure on. He hit certain marks. He's fast. People are excited. Jameer Gibbs is a top five player in this draft. JSN was elite where we wanted him to be elite. His short distance speeds, his agility was through the roof. This is so exciting to match with his production profile. He solidified for me anything, any doubts people might've had about that speed. I don't care. He didn't run a 40 time because I don't care about him trying to beat people on the sideline. He's not that type of player. He's a top five player. Well, CJ Stroud and Bryce Young are two legitimate quarterback prospects, two Rock solid quarterback prospects. Are they locks? No. Are they very, very solid? 
yes, both top five picks. B. John Robinson, uh, this guy is going to be exceptional. Top five pick. Anthony Richardson, okay, the best quarterback athlete ever tested at the Combine. He is now who was at a standard deviation tier break after the top five, was actually going in our ADP at 107, but beyond that clear break at 105, is now never going to go past six. Never going to go past six. So what that means is those five players I just mentioned, one of them is going to fall to 106, and you just got a huge value. You just got a player that's potentially going to change your team at a spot you weren't expecting. We were telling people to consider trading 106 and a late first if you had it to move into that top five to lock in one of these guys. Well, guess what? You just got to save a late first because you're getting them at 106. Uh, just a little soapbox thing I wanted to say there. Really exciting for people who had that. So, And if you have the 106, you don't love Anthony Richardson. He's the guy who falls. Your return for the 106 in a trade on draft day just doubled because somebody doubled. is going to pay someone's way more just so, for someone's going to see Richardson at 106 exactly. when on the clock and be like oh my god this is my 102 exactly they're going to sm- they're going to send you an offer instantly it could be as crazy as including like a 24 first i'm not going to say that that's going to happen but it would not shock me if that falls i'm yeah. just saying okay that wrapping it up best ball you love drafting real draft rooms real players Real results, potential payouts. You don't have the time to settle your lineups. Best ball is a place for you. Underdog is the best place on the internet to go do your best ball drafts. And look, we are partnered up with Underdog. You can actually go first-time users and use code JWB. Those three letters up in the top right there for you on Underdog Fantasy. And you get a deposit match up to $100. Who doesn't like that free money? Who doesn't love drafting? Who doesn't love potentially winning money? Who does love supporting JWB? So please go on underdog. Use that code. As for us, you can find all our stuff at JWB underscore FF at the FF bubble for me at Perry underscore FF for Jake. Jump in our discord mocks every single day. All fun stuff. Conversations going nonstop dynasty. When redraft kicks around best ball talk, underdog fantasy football talk drafts there every single day. Please come in, join us. If you enjoyed this, I had a ton of fun with you guys today. Like, subscribe. We're going to be out here live every single Monday. We have a show at least five days a week for the Munch Marks. We have every single day a full video for you guys. So really, what are we doing here? That being said, we'll catch you guys next time.